Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. And, uh, you know, Pastor Jonathan said something. We've raised our level of expectation, or he said we've come with expectation. And uh, I tell people all the time, every battle that you will ever win or lose is going to be, you know, is going to be won or lost in the arena of expectation. So if you came expecting for God to do something, I can guarantee you, you're not going to leave this service disappointed because God will always meet you. I I tell the story a little while ago, I was in Suffolk, Virginia at the beginning of this year, that when you come with expectation, you know, you're pulling, you're pulling on God to do something in your life. And I remember when I was in a service earlier this year, there was this young boy, and we were praying and laying hands on people, and the power of God was touching people. People got saved in that service. But I was getting ready to close out the service. And thank God, you know, that being led by the Spirit of God, and you can hear God's voice, and when you do, you can do what God tells you to do. But I was in that service ready to close it out. You know, sometimes as a preacher, I, I tell people all the time, the hardest thing to do is to close out a service because, you, you know, you see God moving and uh, you don't want to end it and you just want God to do what he wants to do. But I was getting ready to close this service out when uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, there's a little boy in this building that needs a touch and uh, he, needs, he needs a healing touch from my hand. And so, I, like I said, I was getting ready to close it, but then all of a sudden when I heard that, I just heard little boy. And I said, is there a mom or a dad, maybe even a grandparent that has a child here who's believe, you're believing for your, either your daughter, son, or grandchild to be healed? And all of a sudden, this man just jumped out of the back, and he came running towards the front. And he said, my grandson, he's all like, we need the Lord to touch him. I said, what's wrong with him? He said, he has like type 1 diabetes. And uh, he said, but here's the thing, preacher. He said... As you were getting ready to close and you said that the Lord, you know, spoke to you and said that there was a young child in here, he goes, I knew that that word was for my grandchild because he came to me this morning before church even happened and he said, Grandpa, do you think today is the day that the Lord is going to hear my cry and he's going to touch me? And so I was getting ready to close out the service, but that little boy's faith, his expectation is what pulled on God. And so if you came tonight expecting God to do something. Listen, it doesn't matter how great your situation may be. There is nothing that you're facing tonight that the hand of God cannot take care of and reverse in your life in Jesus' mighty name. You know, I just got back from a service in Huntington, Pennsylvania, where we started off the service on a Sunday morning. Many people got saved, and on Sunday night, For those of you that follow us on social media, you probably uh, saw me post a picture of this young man. But the Lord had spoke to me and he said that there's somebody in the service that has a mass or a growth on their chest. And so as I began to say what the Lord was speaking to me, I said, who has the growth on their chest? And all of a sudden there was a young man about the age of 25 sitting to my left way in the back. And as soon as I said that, I immediately knew it was him. People say, well, did the Lord reveal to you that it was him? No, because the moment I said it, he started crying like a little baby in the back. So it didn't take a genius to figure out that it was him. So when I called him forward to pray for him, I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I have stage three lung cancer. And, you know, when you pray for a smoker, you, you, can, you, know, you can tell if somebody smokes just by smelling them. But he didn't smell like smoke. And I didn't want him to, you know, because I didn't smell it, you know, I took another whiff, you know, just to see if, I, if, if, if it was just I wasn't smelling. I didn't want him to think that I was weird, that I was trying to smell him, you know. But I said, you smoke? He said, no, it's secondhand smoke. And uh, so I, I asked him, I said, how did you hear about the services? Because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't part of that church. He said, I saw your flyer. People were passing your flyer and putting posters up. And I walked into a coffee shop and I saw it there, Miracles for Huntington. And so I came with the expectation that God was going to do something. I said, so you don't go to this church? He said, no. I said, what church do you go to? He said, I go to the Mormon church. So when he said he went to the Mormon church, I immediately looked at him and I said, do you understand that the God that I'm preaching about is not the same God that the Mormons follow? And so I wanted him to know that 
our God is alive and active, and he answers, you know, our cries. And that the Mormon God is dead, and he does nothing, absolutely nothing. So when I found out that he was a Mormon, and that he was going to the Mormon church before I even laid hands on him so that the Lord would heal him, I led him in the sinner's prayer, and right there in front of everybody, he repented of his sins. And I'm telling you, when I led him in the sinner's prayer, I really, you know, when they say repeat this out loud, repeat it after me, I had him repeat after me and say it out loud, and I went into detail. Like, Lord, I was following a wrong way. Now I'm following the right way. I turn my back on Mormonism, and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. The power of God hit that young man, and I laid hands on him and, be and began to pray for him, and I could sense the power of God come upon him. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, stage three is cancer. You know, only a miracle, you know, he needs a miracle in his life. Well, the good news is we serve the God of miracles. And so I prayed over him, laid my hands on him, and when the power of God came on him, he hit the floor like a ton of bricks. Now, you know, hitting the floor like a ton of bricks doesn't mean that he, he got healed. People say, well, was he healed right there and then? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't have x-ray. But I felt in my spirit that the Lord had touched him. So that night, we went back. I went back to the hotel. The next morning, I went to, to the local coffee shop there, and I was walking in there with the pastor. It was about 12 noon. Uh, I was walking in there. Here comes the young man that I prayed for. And I looked at him. His name was Marcelo. I said, Marcelo, how are you doing? He turned around with this big, great smile on his face. He said, preacher... You're never going to believe what just happened. And I said, well, I'm in the business of believing the impossible, so go ahead and try me. See if I won't believe it. He said, well, I went to the doctor this morning, and they did a full body scan on me. They did the same exact thing that they did on me a few months ago. And he said, the doctor, to his amazement, he said, a miracle has just happened before my very eyes. He said, what is it? He says, the cancer that was in your body, in your lungs, stage three, is completely gone, and we can't, we can't find one trace of the cancerous cell in your body. So the same God that moved upon that young man in Huntington, Pennsylvania, if you came with a heart of expectation, is the same God that's going to meet you tonight, and he's going to do something marvelous. Can somebody say amen? And so I'm excited to be here. You know, let me just put in a little blurb right before we get into the message. My wife is going to be speaking Monday night. And like Pastor said, I may not be new to this congregation, but my wife is new to the congregation. But listen, it is going to be well worth coming out on Monday night. We've been traveling. You know, I've been traveling all over the nation, all over the world. And there's been times when my family comes with me, and it's going to start happening a lot more now where they travel with me on, on, a, on, a, week, on a monthly basis. And uh, if you're believing God to do something incredible in your life, you know, women, come out Monday night, and God is going to speak through my wife. God's going to give you a word. God's going to take you to the next level. Maybe there's things in your life that you thought would never happen, would be impossible. I believe on Monday night for those women that are believe, believing God to do something incredible in their life. I believe, you know, just like today and Sunday, God's going to do something incredible on, uh, on Monday night for the women of this house. Can somebody say amen? So let me encourage you. Invite people. Bring people. And while I'm at it, invite people on Sunday morning. Maybe you know somebody that needs to know the Lord as Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior of their life. Sunday morning, let me encourage you, bring them out. Because I believe if you're obedient to the voice of the Lord and bring those that need God and need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, I believe Sunday morning is going to be an incredible service for people. Can somebody say amen? Because we're not in this business, you know, to have people make decisions. We're in this business to make disciples in all the nations. Can somebody say amen? And so I believe I've set my level high to see many people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life on Sunday. But now we're here today, and I'm believing God to do some incredible things in your life. Can somebody say amen? You know, last year when I was here, there was a young man. I was talking about how I went to India. And there was a young man who had his parents, they were actually here visiting from India. And uh, for some reason, today, I began to think about th that, uh, that, that family. And I just began to pray uh, over that family. If that young man comes Sunday morning, or if he's even here tonight, 
I want to I wanna pray for, who, is that, that young man here? Where, were your parents here last year? Your parents were here last year? I just felt, you know why? Because your father gave me a, it's your father, right? He gave me a handkerchief. I needed one, and so he gave me a handkerchief. And I, as I picked up that handkerchief, the Spirit of God just came upon me and said, you need to pray for that young man, and you need to pray for his parents. I'm not saying that your parents are going through anything in India, but the Spirit of God just told me that I needed to pray for them. And the, by the end of this night, we're going to pray for them, and we're going to believe that God's favor comes upon them, and God's hand of protection comes upon them. Amen? Amen. And so, but how many have come expecting to believe something, uh, receive something from the Lord? If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Psalms chapter 118, verses 13 through 24. I remember a few months ago when I was reading this text out of Psalms chapter 118, verses 13 through 24, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to speak a message entitled, put a new song in your mouth. And then the Lord gave me a, a, a couple of verses, you know, through uh, Psalms chapter 118. He says, in order for us to walk in continual victory, because how many of us know that we can walk in continual victory here in this life? The Lord said, in order for you to walk in continual victory, there's a few things that my people need to do and need to implement into their lives. One of the things that the Lord spoke to me, he says, number one, they need to put a new song in their mouth. You see, a lot of times as believers, we can easily talk like the world. We can talk like everybody else. We can talk defeat. We can talk discouragement. We can talk disappointment. We can talk sickness and disease. But according to the word of God, we've been instructed to sing a new song and to allow songs of joy and victory to come out of our mouth. The Bible says any foul or polluting speech, you know, that, that the Lord detests any foul or polluting speech. And foul and polluting speech, which the Bible says in Ephesians, that should never be coming out of our mouth. Foul and polluting speech is not just cursing, but it's saying anything that's con contrary to the word of God. See, a lot of times people, what they do is they magnify the devil over what God has already done in our lives. And what we need to understand as believers is that the devil and God are not on the same level. The Bible says that he is far above every power and far above every principality, that every demonic power, including Lucifer himself, is under the feet of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And so God said you need to start putting a new song in your mouth. The second thing the Lord told me to say is you need to start thanking God for the victory. Not, you know, thanking, that it, thanking as if it's already a done deal. You already possess the victory. It's not coming into your life, but you possess it. And the last thing the Lord told me to do and talk about was he said, you need to remind my people that they also need to start rejoicing in their victory. You know, don't walk around looking like you've been baptized in pickle juice all, all day long. But the Bible says for us to rejoice in the victory that God has already given us. And so I'm that type of preacher that when I begin to, you know, uh, write out my notes and begin to put my message together, by how many, note, by how many papers or, you know, notes that I've written out, I can tell whether a message is going to be very long. And the problem that I came into when I was preparing this message, I wasn't even done with my introduction. And all of a sudden, I could tell that I was already like 45 minutes, 55 minutes into the message. And the introduction, you know, wasn't even done. And so I asked the Lord, is it all right? Instead of taking all three points, can I just preach on one point tonight? And he said, go ahead. And he told me, but you need to title it. You need to put a new song in your mouth. So out of Psalms chapter 118, before this night is over, instead of us talking like the rest of the world, we're going to put a new song in our mouth, and we're going to begin to declare the works of God in our nation and in our very own lives. Can somebody say amen? And so in Psalms chapter 118, verses uh, 13 through 34, this is what the Bible says. My enemies did their, did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Now let me just pause there and say real quickly, verse 15 says, Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. Not too many of us when we leave here are going back to a camp. Basically what the Bible is saying is songs of joy and victory are sung in the homes of the godly. How many godly people do we have here tonight? Well, if you're godly, according to the word of God, songs of joy and victory ought to be coming out of your mouth. Can somebody say amen? 
So verse 16, the strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph, and the strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Listen to what, you know, uh, the psalmist says. He says, I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Can somebody say amen? I remember reading out of Numbers chapter 13, verses 25, I believe through 33. The Bible talks about how when God spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to send 12 spies into the land of, to the promised land, the land of Canaan that I am giving to you guys. And so Moses reaches out to the 12 that the Lord had instructed to go into the promised land, to go and scope out the land. And he said, the Lord has instructed for me to send all 12 of you into the land that he is giving us. Now listen to what the Bible says. It doesn't say that he was going to give them the land. It said he had already given them the land. And so all the spies had to do was go into enemy territory, which, which, which already was their possession, and they had to scope out the land and come back with a report and tell Moses that everything that God said about the land was true. But if we read Numbers chapter 13, what we notice is instead of them coming back with a positive report, the Bible says 10 of the spies, well, all 12 of them, they went into the land and they saw that the cities were fortified. And the Bible also says that there were giants in the land. So when they saw the fortified cities and they saw the giants in the land, what happened was 10 of them came back with a negative report. And they said, there's absolutely no way that we will be able to go in and possess the land because their cities are fortified and they have giants in the land. What these 10 spies allowed, what they did was they allowed the giants to determine the song that was coming out of their mouth. And a few months ago, the Lord spoke to me. I felt the Spirit of God come into, uh, speak to me and say to me that there are a lot of battles in life that the body of Christ has been intended to win, but in reality, we have lost a lot of those battles that we were never intended to lose. And it's not because God wasn't with us through those battles, but the reason we have lost many battles that we were never intended to lose was because we have allowed our words to work against us, just like the 10 out of the 12 spies that went into the land. 10 of them allowed their mouths to hold them back from the promised land that God had for them. And I believe today many of us have done exactly what 10 out of the 12 spies have done. We have allowed a song of worry, disappointment, and defeat to come out of our mouths. We have allowed our circumstances, we have allowed the giants in our lives to determine the song that we will sing, that we will sing out of our mouth. And the truth is, a lot of preachers nowadays are to blame. Because instead of preaching the word of God with power, boldness, and authority, many preachers in North America have watered down the word of God so that you can make room for defeat and just assume that defeat is just the norm in the Christian life. Many preachers make you think that when you come into God's kingdom, that defeat, struggles, and pain is just every believer's portion in life. But my friend, I've got some good news for you. Praise be to God that I am not like every other preacher that is out there. I've not come to preach bad news, but I'm a good gospel news preacher. Can somebody say amen? And the good news of the gospel is this, that part of the work of redemption for you and I is that we would walk in victory all the days of our lives. You see, from the moment we stepped into the kingdom of God, 
until the moment he comes back for us as a child of God, victory is your portion. Can somebody say amen? Victory is not something that you receive when you get to heaven, but the moment Christ was buried and raised and resurrected to the right hand of the Father, the moment he was seated at God's right hand, you and I, according to the word of God, became co-victors with Jesus Christ. And when every power of hell was placed under his feet, it also came under your feet because the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says out of the Passion Translation that we are co-seated with Christ. And because we are co-seated with Christ, instead of singing a song of defeat and, uh, and disappointment like so many people are singing, I've made up my mind that I'm going to allow a song of victory and joy to come out of my mouth. God says to his people tonight, be like the two spies who stood out from the rest of the crowd and put a new song in your mouth which speaks about your victory in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody say amen? Now, the truth is many people attribute the work of the cross to a future work. When in reality, the cross not only benefits your future, but it also benefits your present life right now. See, by the way many people talk, you would think that the work of the cross only produced healing for us when we get to heaven. By their words, many have limited the work. Now, listen. A lot of us have limited the work of God in our lives because of the words that we allow to come out of our mouths. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, we may not get healed in this life, but when we get to heaven, we will receive our full healing. And the truth is, we will be fully healed when we get to heaven. But the truth of the matter is this, and the reality of the cross of Jesus is, it produced a work of healing, victory, and salvation that you can receive and walk in right now. Can somebody say amen? See, the problem is religion has made it harder for people to receive what God has for them. And the truth is, people have overcomplicated the simplicity of God's word. Now, many of you, you've known me for a few years. You've heard me speak, you know, a handful of times, a good amount of times. And you all know that my vocabulary probably doesn't stretch over 500 words. I don't know big words. I don't sound intellectual like a lot of, you know, those preachers on television do. But I don't come, like Paul said, in persuasive speech. I come in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. People don't want to see how extensive your vocabulary is. They want to know the Jesus you're talking about. Is he able to do for me what he did for that leper in the book of Luke? And I'm here to tell you, my friend, that he is not a respecter of persons. That if you come to him with an open heart, and if you come to him with a high level of expectation, I can guarantee you tonight, you will not be turned away in disappointment in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody say amen. But the truth is a lot of people have overcomplicated the simplicity of God's word. I've been in services, my wife and I joke about this all the time, but I've been in services where I literally have to take out my iPhone and open up my app, my dictionary app, so I can figure out what in the world the preacher is trying to say. I remember one time people, you know, they try to sound way too smart. And that's, I think that's what happens. People become so smart, they actually come up with their own religion. You know, there was this one guy in Bible college one time. This is what he said. I don't even know what he was thinking. I think he just wanted to sound very intellectual. But he said, you know, we're not fully saved until we get to heaven. But honestly, I beg to differ with that. Because you'd better hope you're fully saved before you get into heaven. Because if you're not fully saved before you get to heaven, then guess what? You're not getting into heaven. So in the same way, that you don't have to wait till heaven to walk in the fullness of your salvation. You also don't have to wait till heaven to walk in the benefits of your salvation. Listen to what David said in Psalms chapter 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David said that when you're hooked up to God, that you have benefits. And one of those benefits apart from having your sins forgiven and apart from having him heal you of all your diseases, 
one of the benefits that belongs to you at salvation is that you would walk in victory all the days of your life. God didn't save you so that you can live an average life on the earth. But when God saved you, his intention was for you to walk in victory from that moment forward in Jesus' mighty name. But the truth is this. You have a choice. You always have a choice. You can choose to accept or to reject the victory that God has given you. But nonetheless, the moment you step into God's kingdom, God positions you from the very beginning to constantly have victory all the days of your life. How? By seating you in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that he's far above every power and far above every principality. So if you and I are seated in heavenly places with Jesus, then what that means is this. You and I are far above every power. We're far above every principality. I'm not saying that you're not in the middle of a city, that you haven't encountered great battles in life. I'm not saying that you're not in the middle of a battle right now. But what I am telling you is this, because you're seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever it is that has come against you, the only place it belongs is under your feet in Jesus' mighty name. The Bible says that he is far above every power and far above every principality. So what comes under his feet comes under your feet tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Why? Because of where you're positionally seated. You see, the moment you came into the kingdom of God, God set you up to walk in victory by positioning you in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand this, that the Christian walk is a walk of victory. I've heard people say, well, when you give your life to Jesus and when you come into the kingdom of God, your life only gets tougher and tougher when you get saved. And their reasoning for that, I've heard it. You know, I even heard it when I first got saved. But their reasoning for that is the devil hates the decision that you just made. And so he's going to do everything that he can to make your life miserable here on the earth. He's going to do everything to make, to make your life harder and harder here on the earth. And I see it everywhere I go. The Holy Spirit comes upon people, convicts people of their sin. The preacher gives an invitation. People lift their hand. They come to the front. They repent of their sins. They receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. And then some knucklehead tells them, get ready for your life to be only harder and for your life to be only tougher. And when these people should be rejoicing about the greatest decision that they just made in their life, they're actually debating if whether or not they made the right decision. But friend, I've come to tell you, when you come to Jesus, your life only becomes sweeter and sweeter as you walk with the Lord. When you come to Jesus, listen, your best days are not behind you. When you come to Jesus, your best days are ahead of you, and they will continue until Jesus Christ comes back. And somebody say amen. amen. See, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, that the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. You want to hear something very deep? When you're hooked up to God, you're fighting from a place of victory. Amen. Not for the victory. Victory already belongs to you. You see, the devil would like for you to think that your life is only going to get harder and tougher, but two times in Psalms chapter 118, verse 14 and verse 21, it says he has given us the victory. And because we already have the victory, verse 15 tells us songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. Let me encourage you tonight. You shouldn't be singing the same song that the world is singing. You see, the world allows experience to determine the song that they will sing when they wake up in the morning. But I've made up my mind and I've made a decision that as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I've made up my mind that God's word is going to determine what song comes out of my mouth. When everybody else is discouraged, worried, and singing the blues, I've made up my mind that there's going to be a song of joy and victory that will be heard coming out of my camp. Can somebody say amen? 
So let me encourage you tonight. Instead of walking around with this woe is me attitude, like David, make a decision that I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth whether I like it or not. Can somebody say amen? You see, when it comes to praise, you need to understand something when it comes to praise. When it comes to praise, you need to understand that it's a choice. I don't sing and shout because I feel like it. I sing and shout because I choose to praise God. And believe it or not, some people say, well, that's just not in my skin color. Your praise has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Can somebody say amen? And praise actually is not benefiting God. Praise is benefiting you. Because when you praise God, guess what? Your focus changes from fear, worry, and defeat. And you begin to focus on peace, joy, and victory. So I've made up my mind. Whether I feel like it or I don't feel like praising God, I've made up my mind. I'm going to allow a song of joy and victory to be heard out of my camp. For the Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Whether you've received negative news, a bad report, the Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Can somebody say amen? There's been times in my life when I didn't feel like praising God. Many of you heard the testimony of my daughter, how she was taken away from us. And my wife and I stood in faith, stood in agreement, and we just began to thank God. We just began to praise God, even when we didn't feel like praising God. We went to church. We lifted up our hands. Day, on a daily basis, we, we got on our knees. We prayed to God. We glorified him. Listen, when you begin to praise God, it reminds him of what you don't have in your life, and it compels him to do more in Jesus' mighty name. You ever been around a believer, a whining, complaining, defeated believer? There's nothing worse than being around one of those. But the truth is, it happens all the time. I'll be talking about tearing down walls, removing mountains out of people's lives. I'll be finishing preaching on conquering mountains, and all of a sudden, it never fails. Somebody will come up to me after church, and they'll begin complaining about how hard life is. And the Lord's graced me, and the Lord's, you know, given me the opportunity and the privilege to preach in third world countries. You know, I just, I think last year when I was here, I was telling my wife, I actually came from the Netherlands straight here. And then after we left here, I went to Cuba. Now, it's not a big problem for Canadians to go to Cuba. But they don't, they don't get too happy when Americans go over there. But I went to Cuba in July. And, you know, they called me up to find out what I was going to preach about. They don't, we don't want you preaching on the government. We don't want you preaching that the people are poor because of the government. We don't want you preaching about your president. We don't want you preaching about, you know, your politics, your government, nothing. What are you going to preach about, they asked me. I said, I'm going to preach on Jesus. I'm going to preach salvation. I'm going to preach healing. And I'm going to preach the blessing. Is that okay? I think a lot of preachers find themselves in trouble when they get away from preaching Jesus. But I remember I went there and I preached Jesus. And I remember in one service... The pastor told me, he goes like this, hey, government officials are in the meeting tonight, and they're here because they want to arrest you and deport you back to the United States. So in my mind, I know, I told him, I said, you know, what's the worst that could happen if they arrest me? They're like, they'll detain you and then deport you to the U.S. Well, you know, that doesn't seem so bad, deporting me back to my home country. I said, the worst part is actually the detaining part because they don't tell you how long they're going to detain you. And so I have a wife back at home who needs me, and I got two kids back at home who needs me. So I wasn't planning on being arrested and being detained. Can somebody say amen? So when the pastor tells me that government officials are in the service, you know, the enemy tries to put fear into you. But I just preach Jesus. And so when you don't know what to do, praise God, the Holy Ghost always knows what to do. So I remember as I was preaching, I was getting ready to close out the service the Lord spoke to me, and he said, there's somebody in here with a kidney issue to the point that they're actually beginning to urine out blood. So I spoke that. I said, there's somebody in here 
with a kidney issue to the point that you're beginning to urine out blood. And you know, like most people are, when the Lord reveals something to me and I speak, speak it out, a lot of people are hesitant to lift their hands up, you know, because it could be something new to them. Maybe they're embarrassed. They don't want to be the center of attention. And the same thing was happening over in Cuba. So it doesn't only happen here in Canada. It happens in Cuba also. And so when I was there and I spoke this, finally, one gentleman put his hand up in the air. And you know who it was? It was the government official. He came up. Why in the world would God tell you that through a translator? Well, he told me that because you're valuable and you're important to him. So we laid hands on him and the power of God came upon him. The next night, he came back with a whole bunch of his buddies. And I thought to myself, man, I must have ticked him off. Now he's getting ready. He brought his buddies, he, he brought his homies with him. And now he's going to get ready to arrest me, detain me, and send me back to the U.S. But at the end of that service, when I was given the altar call, all those people that came to arrest me, they got arrested by the Holy Ghost themselves. And they all stood to their feet and they came to the altar and they received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Can somebody say amen? I've made up my mind. You know, when I go to these third world countries and these people, you know, it's a communist country. They make $20 a month, not a week, a month. And if you're a doctor, you make $40 a month. But when I was over there, not once did I ever hear them complain about anything. They have at least a little bit to complain about. But I never heard them complain about anything. I never heard them whine about anything because of concentrating, instead of concentrating on what they didn't have, they were concentrating on what they did, they did have. They were thankful for what they had. You see, in the Western world, I think we have it all backwards. The Bible doesn't say in all things complain, but the Bible says in all things give thanks. This is the will of God. You, you want to know what the will of God is? God's will, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, is that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. And what I've learned, when your heart overflows with thanksgiving and gratitude, not only does it honor God, but it also provokes God to do more for you. It compels him to move on your behalf. We read a story about the 10 lepers in the Bible. The Bible says all of them were healed, but only one was made whole. Why? Because he returned back to Jesus and he thanked him. And you may say, well, what's the difference? Well, there's a world of a difference. They were lepers. They were all healed. The disease had left their body, but only one was made whole. There's a world of a difference when you're healed and you still have your thumb missing. And there's another difference when you're whole and your thumb comes back. And somebody say amen. See, thankfulness and gratitude will compel God to do more for you in Jesus' mighty name. The scriptures tells us songs of joy and victory are to be coming out of your mouth. So the truth is, if you're going to live in victory and experience victory all the days of your life, then the Bible tells us that your mouth is going to play a very important role in that victory. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18:21 that death and life is in the power of the tongue. And the truth is, so many people are allowing their words to work against them. And I'll tell you why. Because a lot of people are focusing on the wrong thing. I hear people all the time say, I just don't know why God would allow this to happen to me. But yet these people who say this are the very same people that by the words they have just spoken, they actually expected the outcome that they didn't want to see happen. I hear it all the time. I was praying it wouldn't happen, but I just knew it was going to happen. You know what the Bible calls that? Being a double-minded person. And the Bible says, let not a double-minded person expect to receive anything from the Lord. Most people's prayers, they are focusing on the wrong thing in the prayer. They focus more on what the devil wants to do rather than on what God has already done through the finished work of the cross through Jesus Christ. But let me encourage you, if you will focus on the right thing beginning tonight, you can begin to speak and to pray the right thing. Don't focus on the mountain, focus on the promise. Can somebody say amen? Don't focus on the lack, focus on my God shall supply 
all my needs according to his riches and glory. Don't focus, well, I don't have what it takes. But focus on what Paul said. He said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And what I've learned is this. What you focus on is a great indicator as to whether or not you will walk in victory. And equally as important are the words that you speak out of your mouth. Listen to what James says in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And the small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Now listen to verse 6. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Verse 6 tells us that the tongue has the power to set the course of your life. And if the tongue has the power to set the course of your life, let me encourage you tonight, my friend. Learn to speak words of victory and life over your situation. I think that one of the greatest things that people underestimate in the body of Christ is the power of their words. I remember growing up, they used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many have ever heard that, that saying? But the truth is, words can hurt people. Words can destroy lives. Words can determine what you see and what you experience in your life. Can somebody say amen? I have a friend back at home, Steve. When I was back at church one time, he pulled me aside and he said, Nate, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He said, I have people that come up to me every week. His wife was diagnosed with cancer. He said, I have people that come up to me every week. And every week they tell me, Steve, I'm praying for your wife. But sometimes people say way too much than what they should say. You ever hear sometimes few words are better than a lot of, than a lot of words? Talk too much. Instead of building people's faith, you're actually destroying their faith. Steve, I'm praying for your wife. And then the very next words that would come out of their mouth is this. But I had a sister in my family. Or I know so-and-so in the church. Or I had another relative. Or I had a friend of mine that had the same cancer that your wife had. And she didn't make it. So instead of building his faith, what they were doing by their words was weakening the only faith that he had on the inside of him. He didn't need to hear that so-and-so had died of the same cancer that his wife had. What he needed to hear and what I began to tell him was that their story was not going to be his wife's story. I began to say, they may not have made it, but your wife is going to make it in the name of Jesus. You see, in the middle of people's greatest battles, they don't need to hear bad news. They need to hear good news. Can somebody say amen? And the good news of the gospel is this. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, if you will allow your words to line up with God's words, those words will pave the way to your victory in Jesus' mighty name. You may be in the middle of your greatest battle, but if you will make a decision to sing songs of joy and victory in your camp, I prophesy to you tonight that you're gonna you're going and you're going higher and you're gonna step into your victory and you're gonna make it to the other side in Jesus' mighty name. I remember a few years ago, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. And I was actually coming back from Virginia Beach when I received this phone call from my mom. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to ask a lot of questions. And the reason I ask a lot of questions is because I like to see where people's faith are at. You let somebody talk long enough, you can see where their faith is at. You know, you'll see where their 
put their focus. You can tell a lot by where people put their focus, where their faith is at. So I began to speak to my mom, and she said, your grandmother has been diagnosed with cancer. And I said, uh, like when? She said, about two hours ago. So I can tell that she was crying. So I started asking her questions like, you know, where, where were you just at right now? Well, I just came back from your grandmother's house. I said, what were you doing there? This is what she told me. She said, well, I was there with, you know, your aunts and your uncle, and we were just telling your grandmother how much we were going to miss her. I said, dear Lord. I said, the lady hasn't even been diagnosed for 24 hours. You know, it's funny, but I bet some of you have done that. I've been guilty of doing that at times. But praise be to God, we go from glory to glory, and we get stronger each day. But when my mom said that, I said, good Lord. I said, the lady hasn't even been diagnosed for 24 hours, and you guys are already putting her six feet under. And so like a holy anger rose up on the inside of me. And you can ask my wife. My grand, like my grandmother and I, we don't have a close relationship. You know, when I grew up, you know, I, my, I grew up in a, in, in a three-family apartment. They have those here in Toronto, don't they? And so I lived on the third floor. My uncle lived in the second floor. And then my grandmother lived on the first floor. It was too close for comfort. The best day of my life when I was 16, and we ended up moving out of that th third floor, and my parents bought their own house. Thank God. But I didn't have a great relationship with my grandmother. The only time my grandmother ever said my name was when she was talking to my mom and she would say at the same time, hit Nathan harder, hit Nathan harder. Like with a, with a schnalla, which is a slipper, you know, or like a, a, with a stick. And so we didn't have a great relationship. I would say, hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, I would never say like grandma or vovo. It would always be like, hey, hey, you. And everybody would laugh. You, you call your grandmother, hey, hey, you. Yeah, sometimes. But I didn't have a great relationship with her. But this holy anger rose up on the inside of me. When my mom said that she was talking about how they were going to miss my grandmother. I said, you know what they were doing? They were giving life to the cancer that was in my grandmother's body. And so I made up my mind. I was going to go to New Bedford, Massachusetts to go and pray for my grandmother. Somebody can come and play the piano. But I made up my mind I was going to go to my grandmother's house. And I was going to. I was going to pray for her. I remember showing up there at 8 o'clock at night. My grandfather comes running out. I can't even remember if I've told you the story already. But my grandfather comes running out 8 o'clock at night. I rang the doorbell. Opens it up. He's like, I had no clue who was, who was ringing the doorbell this late at night. And he comes out with no shirt on, his belly over his pants, and three pieces of hair sticking out in the middle of his chest. You had no clue who was ringing the doorbell. But yet, this is how you answer the door. I'm like, get back in the house and put on a shirt. Your neighbors don't want to see that. I definitely don't want to see that. My grandmother, who is it? Oh, it's Nathan, Maria's son. You know, a Portuguese lady by the name of Maria? That's just about every Portuguese woman. Oh, it's Nathan, Maria's son. I kind of looked at my grandfather and I said, oh, yeah? Is there another Nathan that I don't know about that you have to refer to me as Maria's son? And so I walk in the house, and my grandmother says, what are you doing here? I said, well, my mom just told me that you've been diagnosed with cancer. And so she said, so why did you come? I said, I come to pray for you so that the Lord will touch you and heal you. And the truth is, what I wanted to tell her was this, Grandma, if you die, my mom is going to be a mess. I don't have time to deal with that right now. So I just thought that I was going to bypass the whole situation and just come lay hands on you and see the power of God touch you so that I don't have to deal with the mess that my mom would be left in if you passed away. So I remember when I laid hands on my, my grandmother, I took authority over that situation where my uncles, my uncle and my aunts and my mom began to speak death over my grandmother's situation, I allowed a song of joy and victory to come out of my mouth. And I said, Grandma, you will not die in the name of Jesus, but you shall live and tell of the wonders of God over your life. And as I began to pray over her, 
she began to praise God. And I said, Grandma, that's exactly what you need to be doing. You need to praise God. Because a lot of people say, well, I need a miracle. Well, the cheapest way to receive a miracle is by opening up your mouth and beginning to praise God. You may say, well, why is that? Because you may have heard another preacher say that before. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says God inhabits in the praises of his people. So when you begin to praise God, he doesn't send an angel on assignment. When you begin to praise God, God Almighty steps into the middle of your situation himself. And when God steps into your situation, all your enemies have to step out in the name of Jesus. And I prophesy to you tonight, your enemies are stepping out in Jesus' mighty name. So I pray for my grandmother. She began to praise God, my aunts and my uncle. You know, instead of saying, thank you for praying for my mom and for your grandmother, they criticized me through my mom. What does Nathan think? That his prayers have something that our prayers don't have? And I sent my mom back with a message and I told them, you go ahead and tell them my prayers absolutely do have something their prayers don't have. And that's the power of the Holy Ghost. Because when they were a few days ago speaking death over their own mom, I began to speak life. I began to speak victory. And God showed up in the scene. And I'll tell you what, two years later, my grandmother is alive and my mother and my grandmother is cancer free. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power when you begin to speak God's word out of your mouth. When you begin to speak God's word, something begins to happen in the atmosphere. You have the authority to speak the devils and they have to go in Jesus' mighty name. Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can somebody say amen? And I can't stress to you, my friend, the importance of singing a song of joy and victory out of your mouth. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it feels like the natural is completely opposite what you're declaring. It's completely opposite what you're believing. All it takes is just one shout. All it takes is one praise. All it takes is one offering. All it takes is one prayer and God can turn your situation around. Can somebody say amen? Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.